Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 194. Uh, I'm Steve, and we have our co-host, Marty. Cody, what's happening, y'all? How's it going, everybody? I've been super busy doing spring planting, and I haven't had as much time to get some guests booked. We'll get some more booked. Um, I know we have a few we've talked to. We're just having a chance to schedule and everything, so we'll get that in the pipeline yeah, Marty and I thought it'd be fun to come on tonight and talk about spring planning and planting, kind of get things getting ready. Maybe people that are thinking about getting the system started. Maybe you're thinking about growing cannabis after the quarantine and everything. Um, so we thought we'd try to cover that kind of that kind of stuff, or maybe you're going to plant plants outside for the first time this year. Um, we thought we'd try to cover a lot of the basic soil stuff and some of the other stuff that people ask, and then some of the the also some of the, the stuff people have been asking lately. So. What's, what's up with you, Marty? How are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. I just started work again, so it's been a little challenging to like get things done. And I am trying to open up chat right now. So, um, so yeah, it's been fun. Started at a at a new IT job, which is going to be hopefully fun and interesting and challenging. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, uh, definitely cuts into the garden time, so I'm glad I, I spent a little money and took some time to set up some automation, which has been great, so I, I can actually check on my grow room and um, not have to be there and, uh, you know, can turn fans on and off manually if I need to, but luckily, it's been managing pretty well. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of been the stuff I've been focused on lately is, like, getting prepared to go back to work, and I started on Monday, so um yeah i'm in let's see week i uh, just started week three of flower today so that is uh exciting plants are looking good all the tweaks are back in place so i'm excited about that um they all seem to work and <clears throat> do what they're supposed to so the pitch is making the drain better uh siphons are running well um the water temperature is now regulated throughout the beds, so they're just growing crazy. Um, ho hopefully almost done training at this point. Uh, <clears throat> as we enter week three, expect them to, to slow down, and they have a little bit, but um, when they really explode during that transition phase, <clears throat> it was, uh, every day was training day. It was, uh, <laughs> it's a lot to, uh, keep that net filled out but everything's looking really good I'll probably even thin it out a little bit more on some of the bigger ones um, so I had some that I replaced uh, after I did the tweaks um, to the system and some of the ones that were still looking good those ones that recovered and been in there longer are super bushy and uh, a little bigger than I would normally run them so it was still only it was just short of a eight week veg. So it was like seven, seven weeks and change uh, on veg, which is about, you know, almost twice as long as I normally run, except for the ones that got replaced. Those were about normal veg and what I would expect. So that's kind of been the garden stuff. So we top dressed the dual root zones um, as they went into flower. So mixing that up and putting those in. Um, I did that live on the Facebook group, actually. That was kind of fun. 
so a couple live streams that was cool and uh i'll try to do more but i have to have time and the lights have to be on so <clears throat> hopefully uh, we'll find enough to talk about till eight o'clock and we'll get a peek at the girl room when lights turn on uh what else bunch of clones clones are always going uh so new moms now are wi-fi sunset sherbert and snowman snowman's been in for a minute uh, and so now I'll have, uh, that'll join the Thorsberry and I'll have aquaponic moms of all of the strains I'm currently working on and we'll be able to start phenotype hunting with the uh, seeds that Mr. Green Gene sent me, which is super exciting. We talked about those a couple of times. So uh, that's some, I believe it's called Pineapple Jack. And um, the other one is his new Kush cross he did which he's calling Koji's Kush, I think it is, which is, I think only an F2 right now or something like that. So should see some pretty cool variations in it. And uh, so I'm super excited for that. And that is, what did he say? Uh, he's gonna get mad at me if I screwed up, I might have to go look. But I believe, if I remember correctly, he said it was Master Kush crossed with DJ Short's Blackberry Kush, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> I might have to go double check that just to be sure. But anyway, I'll be able, I have seeds uh, for a phenol hunt on both of those. And I will then have room uh, now that I have those other moms set up. Um, so that'll all be able to line up. And uh, we'll, I want to do a full documented phenotype hunt. So uh, that'll be on my Patreon. So um, I have uh, both that and I just finished editing the uh, IPM series. And my, uh, I think I decided to call it the How to Save a Plant series, which is basically um, going through and saving the genetics from infested plants. So, um, so yeah, that's a like a three-part series where We'll go through and clean up the existing plant. Um, how and when to take the cuts, uh, rooting them into clones and putting them back into uh, new moms. So treating it, cloning it, <coughs> and uh, just to save the genetics. So that'll go up on my Patreon relatively soon, um, maybe like this weekend. So, uh, and then I'll, like I said, I wanted to start the phenotype hunt. So that'll be fun. And yeah, I think that's about it. Just cranking out clones in the bedroom. Gonna set up a second aquaponic system so that I'll have room for the new phenotype moms. And I think that's it. What about you? What are you up to? Oh, he's muted. One second, okay. So I've been, uh, uh just doing a whole bunch of getting prepping stuff prepped getting nutrients ordered for the, the five acres of outdoor we're doing getting the irrigation all set up getting that stuff going getting the um just everything that comes with doing outdoor when you're at that scale 
Uh, thankfully, having just done it in Africa, uh, it's kind of fresh in my mind. So we just did 10 acres in Africa. We're about to do five here. So it'll be a little easier. So is that five acres of cannabis? Yes, this will all be THC, not CBD. So this awesome. will be the most acres of THC that I've grown uh, or, you know, been the head of growing. Uh, other than that, um, how many plants does that figure out to? 14,000. Yeah. Put in some work. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we have a whole bunch of good stuff. We uh, just popped a bunch of beans. In fact, I was pulling that up. Just popped some SWAT, uh, some Shirley Temple Fajoa Kush, uh, some Slothy Kush, which is Master Kush, Critical Berry, and Citrix. Uh, some Blue Hash, which we've talked about a bunch on the show over the years. Uh, some the Barb CBD from Michigan. Shout out to the people from the Regenerative Conference uh, that I got that from. I don't remember who it was, but whoever you are, thank you. Um, some Baby Blue, crossed with TB5, crossed with TB. I don't remember what that stands for. Um, some Blue Blizzard um, from Mr. Green Jeans. Some Capital G Unicorn Tears, again, from the Regenerative Conference. Uh, thank you for, for those. Uh, some Cherry Sue from the uh, CBD, uh, also from, I don't remember if that was from the Regen Conference or if that was from Emerald Cup, one or the other. Um, some Blue Hash, number three, which was one of the better Finos. Uh, some Romulan, some White ha Wizard and some Blue Hash, some Zimbabwean Land Race, which uh, mysteriously found its way here. Uh, Blizzard uh, uh, and Blue Hash Cross from Mr. Green Jeans. Some Blue Hash and Fajoa Kush Cross from Mr. Green Jeans. Some Blue Hash White Wizard Cross from Mr. Green Jeans. Uh, some Blue Hash Fajoa Kush, uh, Blue Hash One Fajoa Kush Cross, separate Blue Hash Mom. Uh, some uh, Durban Mango Sticks, some Hippie Crippler from uh, Atticus. Uh, some G13 Hash Plant from Dragonfly Earth Medicine. Some uh, GWB Cross with Afghan Skunk Haze, uh, which I got at the Regen Conference. Um, uh, Malawi OG, I don't remember where I got that one. Um, some Ethos Hatch Plant and to Arise, uh, shout out iRegenetics, Rasta Jeff. Uh, you can get Arise over from him uh, at uh, iRegenetics.com. So he's a friend of the show, also has a great podcast called Grow From Your Heart. Uh, if you haven't checked it out before, uh, definitely go ahead and check that out. It's a good one. That's cool. So how many uh, do you guys have all of your plans already or are you still counting on some of those clones to fill out all your numbers oh so no we have a we have we don't have all the clones uh, going for those i have probably of those i probably have around five thousand that are rooted and in um one gals right now uh, that are ready to go out into the field here in about another oh three to four weeks um, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but you know, we're just kind of trying to crank up numbers. We have a whole bunch cut. We have probably another five to 7,000 that are in queue right now. Uh, so, um, and then we're going to take another five to 10,000 and we're going to take the strongest ones. And those are going to be the ones that actually make it to go outside and everything else will either end up cold or, you know, if it's decent, we'll still end up, you know, offer it for sale, but maybe, uh, hold on to the best of the best, you know? Yeah, and I think that people sometimes can really underestimate <laughs> what it looks like to put together. They're like, oh, let's go 
grow five acres with the plants. You're like, oh, well, okay, cool. But, you know, <laughs> there's a lot that happens before then. And uh, it can definitely be a challenge. And it's a, I mean, it's a great time of year, you know, especially around here. Um, you know, if you've, if you've got a decent clone game, then, uh, you know, there's a lot of supply and demand shifting well, around. And we've been, uh, we've been grateful that a lot of uh, people that work with us here uh, have family members that are suddenly unemployed that need temporary work. And we're happy to give them temporary work uh, cutting clones or repotting clones. So we have a couple of uh, family members that are, uh, you know, uh, aunts and uncles and moms and dads that uh, normally would never be working in this industry. But hey, times are tough. And uh, with uh, all the craziness going on, it's fun to put some some people to work and teach some older people uh, the, the craft. And it's been really fun. So yeah, and it's definitely there's just a there's such a big difference between being able to like, take some cuts and root them in your media beds versus like, producing 5000 clones that are you know, identifiable and uniform and, you know, relatively the same size and all healthy. And, you know, like there's a lot of challenges that come along the way with trying to do a project of that size. And it, um, like even just, there's a lot of people that don't even just do the sheer math of it, you know, like how many moms do I need or how many cloners do I need? How many, you know, uh, how many yep. weeks is it before my season start and how many clones am I producing per week? Those are like, if you can't answer those questions, those are like, that's like the basics of it. So if you haven't like crossed those off your list, then you're, you know, you're way behind. So, um, and, and why it can be so valuable to just purchase them. <laughs> there's, a, there's a pretty strong case to be made that if you're just coming into it and you don't have a very strong clone game, that you can understand the value really quickly in, in investing in already good quality clones. Um, you know, obviously everybody has nightmare stories about spider mites and this and that and the other thing, but if you're, if you're not doing them yourself, then you're probably gonna get them and you're gonna have to know how to deal with them. And that's kind of a separate topic, but all of those plants, even a plant with spider mites is probably especially a clone that's only this big that you can still dip is probably better than no plant at all. <laughs> so, um, but there's some really basic stuff that you can do, you know, like you can, you can have a sample system, you know, I'm going to grow my moms to about this size and in that process, I can cut these many, this many clones off of it every two weeks or every week or however often you, you want to do it. There's some pretty easy stuff that you can do to figure out and at least have some rough idea of uh, how, how long you have before your season starts and how many clones you can produce and, and have ready to go in the ground by the time you need to. If you're going in the ground, if you're gonna go into smart pots, then you gotta, you gotta get smart pots and you gotta get all the soil in them and get them placed. And you know, there's so much about uh, springtime that is just planning and now is like, now it's too late. Yesterday was a good day. Today's better. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> to be able to planning all this stuff out for uh, anything of scale and really for your home stuff, you've got a little, you know, you've got some time still, especially, well, I guess where, where I am currently in Southern Oregon, I still have uh, some time left um, before uh, I can even put plants outside. So depending on where you're at, 
you know, the length of your day depends on when you're able to put your plants outside versus um, keep them inside with artificial light so that your days are long enough to keep your plants in veg. And so here, plants outside would still want to go into flower, most, most strains anyway. So Steve, what are you gonna do if you guys, like let's say you don't make it, let's say you only get 8,000 plants and you need 10. Um, do you guys plan on doing anything like maybe just plant some seeds, like sow some seeds directly for everything else you can't get clones to? Or what do you, any, black, any backup plans? Well, right now we're on schedule to cut, to have all of our clones in hand and to have them uh, slightly ahead of schedule. Um, you know, I, ideal planting times is, is the very end of May or early June. Uh, so, and, and, you know, you can plant all the way through, you know, July, you know, mid-July. Uh, last year with the rains being as horrible as they were here in Oklahoma, I was working with a different group. We weren't even able to plant until July 1st because we couldn't, couldn't get any of the equipment out there to, to, to actually work with the soil or anything like that. It just, it was too wet. You couldn't get anything out to the field you know all it was just too muddy you know so you never know what you're going to run into especially when you live in uh in this part of the country so we'll see how things go and uh hopefully we don't end up like last year but um uh you know uh right now we're on schedule and you know if we do have an issue i think what we do is just maybe plant a little bit late and, and then just you know that section maybe we're just going to take a little bit lower yield on um, we could always reach out to another grow, uh, breeder and, and buy some clones. I do know a couple of great people. Matt from Arlo Systems is out here over by Oklahoma City. Uh, and some other great breeders are out here that I know. Uh, some of the guys from Embracing Organics have an operation up in, in Oklahoma as well. Uh, so they also could be another resource that we'd reach out to. But, um, you know, right now I think we're, we're going to be able to cover everything we have as far as schedule we're doing we have kind of our, our vault of genetics that we keep in the main um, very locked up uh, very few people are allowed into uh, kind of a genetic vault uh, and then we take clones from those and they go into the greenhouse the greenhouse has lights in it that come on at 3 a.m and turn on until dawn uh, and then they turn off and then it gets the sun the rest of the day um, and that allows them to, to stay in veg uh, without us having to pay all that much in, in electrical bill. And uh, aside from the, the genetic vault, which is indoors. And, um, and then we can cut a, a, an obscene amount of clones in there. Um, you know, you can cut two or 300 clones an hour uh, easily and, and get them labeled and, and planted back into a raft board when you're doing it with a raft that's right behind you. Um, so we're planting in very densely into uh, a, a whole DWC raft. So we have a, a DWC raft. It's about 70 by by eight. Uh, that is just clones um, that, uh, you know, <laughs> makes a very good cloner when you're doing it at that scale. Not to mention how quickly they grow in, in aquaponics. It really, uh, really is one of the best business models, uh, you know, utilizing aquaponics. And then we use that water as a base uh, we have two flowering rooms as well. We use that as the base for that, as well as our, in, our indoor mom room. And then we have a, a separate breeding area as well, which at some point I'll do a video on, uh, that we also supply aquaponic water from and is the base for our nutrients uh, that we then, uh, in flower, we'll, we'll cut that down a little bit to reduce the nitrogen. Uh, if it's in veg, obviously we'll leave it pretty much as is. 
Um, there was a question from chat. Uh, water scheduling. Okay, so water scheduling. Um, that's a great question. So we actually would will be using uh, water sensors or humidity sensors in the soil. Uh, I was trying to find, where is it? Here it is, one second. I wanted to find the name of it while I was thinking of it because I was... There's actually a the name of it. soil, like a moisture... I think they call it a soil moisture sensor. Yeah, so the, the cheapest one you can get, yeah, you can get a soil moisture pH meter and light meter uh, all in one, three in one for like 10 to $15 at your garden center or Home Depot or Amazon or, or Target or whatever your, your local place is. Uh, and those are real common. Um, they're cheap. They're not expensive at all. But those are, aren't the best. But then you can also get digital ones, which can run more. I've been actually looking for one for my vegetable garden and I've been not able to find one that I liked that was internet capable or Wi-Fi capable. Um, maybe uh, Marty knows of one. In fact, I'm sure he's about to tell us about one, but uh, there's a company <laughs> called uh, Melnar uh, or Melnor. One second, let me click it here. Yeah, so these guys, uh, Melnar makes these really nice digital ones uh, a digital zone uh, timers if you're going to do multiple rows of plants or you want to water a larger area and they have a moisture sensor on them and you that's what we're going to use for my vegetable garden we'll get two or three of these and we'll be able to do, do all that and again it'll adjust the water so that we're not watering when the soil is already wet uh, we don't want to overwater. And, and again we're going to do something similar with the cannabis we'll have a little weather station that tells us what the you know soil moisture is and and all this other stuff uh, and that'll tell us uh, what we're going to do uh, and when to water uh, and that'll all be automated uh, that we control it you know i can hit a button and, and turn on the irrigation whenever i need to uh, or we'll do it on a schedule uh, generally twice a week depending on temperature as well you know if it's hotter we might water once a day um, if it's brutal uh, again it really just depends on on temperature uh, one other thing too if you're in the south like i am uh, and you're ending up with with high high water temperatures. I'm making sure you add some um, silicon dioxide or potassium silicate. Especially, just watch your pH because it will raise pH. Um, adding that silica will help reduce uh, heat stress. Um, but in general, we do water uh, twice a week. Uh, we spray fun for fungus once a week. Um, I, we actually that's a great point. We've had a great we had uh, one or two plants um, that were outside. That we were growing in our test patch that had PM and uh, hit him with a couple of different things, wasn't responding, uh, went well, ordered some cease. Uh, in fact, I'll grab it. Oh, I took the jug out to the greenhouse, but uh, there's a product called cease, C E A S E by BioWorks. And holy crap, did that do a really good job at, at that? I'm definitely going to use that in the future. Um, we're switching that to that as our preventative here for the entire facility. Um, I'm definitely going to use that over any other uh, powdery mildew spray in the future. I'm really impressed with it. And uh, they actually called me uh, a couple, uh, it was about yesterday, I think it was, and asked me how I like the product. I've never had any company <laughs> that works uh, with pest management call me and ask me if the product, certainly not with fungicides, call me and ask me. Uh, if the product is working as desired and you know i'm highly impressed so uh you know two thumbs up to, to them um we're hopefully gonna be able to get them on the show 
uh, and let them talk about their product. But um, I tell you what, it's great. It's a biological, it's a, it's a strain of Bactillus subtilis, but man, did it do a hell of a good job on those two plants we had out by the pond. Yeah, that's awesome. So I did go on kind of like a mission to try to find like a grow room monitoring system that wasn't like insanely expensive, completely proprietary, or completely overkill for a home growth. And I couldn't really find anything. So what I ended up doing was getting a weather station, a Wi-Fi weather station from a place called Ambient Weather. So ambientweather.com will take you to their website where they sell hardware. And ambientweather.net will take you to basically like a weather nerd's wet dream of a website. It's like everything that you can think of um, that has to do with weather, but that actually is so much stuff that's useful for growing. It, it turns out to do pretty well. Actually, I think, I think I can share my screen with you. Let me show you. Uh, let's see. Can you see that? Steve? You're muted. Oh yeah, there you are, shaking your head. Okay, so it'll tell you all kinds of cool stuff. And it has these nice little widgets right here <clears throat> that are you know, telling you, this is just information about uh, the length of the day. So we were talking earlier about the length of the day, making the difference really to the length of the nighttime. Um, but down here, it'll uh, give you a lot of different information pertinent to your zones. And once you set everything up, this is all pertinent to wherever you say you're located at. And so you can see here I am in Gold Hill and it's got all my personalized forecast. And uh, I could put a weather station outside, but I don't, what I got, you guys can see it on the camera up here behind me. Um, there's a little station up here that sits on the wall. It connects to Wi-Fi, and it has four little sensors that it, or three sensors that it came with and it itself is a sensor. So that's the office, the one you're in right, looking at behind me. So you can see it's kind of warm in here, 77. Very low humidity though. <clears throat> and this is outside on the patio. So this is what the temperature is outside. All these um, have maps on them. So in here we have the bedroom and the girl room. So if I wanna click on this and go to the graph, then you can just scroll through here and see at any particular point in time it will show you what that was. So like down here, scroll down, here's my flower room. Temperature, you can see when the lights were on, obviously over here, the temperature is higher. And the humidity is swinging within 10%. You can see here, this is the, the scale right here. So the fan's kicking on and turning it off. And I have triggers set up uh, based on these to turn my fans on and off with smart plugs. Those smart plugs were pretty cheap. They were um, $25 for four of them. So I have one on my uh, input fan and exhaust fan. And right now, just the exhaust fan is able to control both the temperature and humidity. It hasn't had the kick on the second one yet. So I have rules that if it gets hotter than 70 or higher than 76% humidity, 
and it will kick on the exhaust fan <clears throat> until it gets down here. And I actually have to tell it to turn off sooner. I think it's 70% because it only reads every couple minutes. And it, well, it reads about every minute and then it takes about a minute for the fan to kick on. <clears throat> so controlling your environment is probably the most effective thing that you can do to fight PM, in my opinion, is especially controlling your temperature and humidity swings. And you can see most of the time <clears throat> I'm significantly uh, under a 10% swing or staying within a 10% swing and uh, in 10 degrees is kind of the ideal. My, uh, my temperature is swinging a little more than 10 degrees, but I'm not running a heater. So it's just more dependent on how cold it gets at night. <clears throat> Sometimes it drops down a little bit more. And actually I can just scroll up here and see if I wanna know what the temperature was at nighttime. I can see right here. Oh, and this is kind of funny. There's like one little spot during the day where that just happened, the sensor happens to be in the sun. So the patio temperature <laughs> skyrockets and then it goes back into the shade and comes back down. So uh, really powerful tool. I can, uh, um, this is just on the web right now. I can access it from my phone uh, through an app. Uh, and it's uh, um, always online. So haven't had too much of an issue with it. I do have alerts set up for a couple of things like uh, um, if the sensors go offline for any reason, um, then I, I get a notification that it hasn't got any readings because then I'll have to manually turn the fans on and off. But I can do that separately with an app uh, just from my phone also. So like even if I'm at work and I get a notification that the sensor's not working, like let's say the batteries die, then uh, um, I can still manually uh, turn the fan on and off if I need to. So um, it works pretty well for being kind of a, you know, ghetto system in terms of it doesn't necessarily run with a lot of hardware. They're just a couple little sensors that go to this weather station and then the, um, uses those sensors to turn on and off uh, smart plugs. Obviously, you can't use them with digital fans because if you get a digital fan, then when it, you know, just cutting the power <clears throat> and turning it back on, um, it won't do, it won't turn back on automatically. When you restore power to it, you would still have to hit a button to turn on a digital fan in a lot of cases. So like all of my circulation fans, I wouldn't be able to put on a timer like that. So that's kind of my little uh, monitoring system and it's working really well for me. And so altogether it was about 175 bucks for eight plugs and I think I still have three extra, which I'll probably put on my, uh, like my pumps. I think I'll put them on this so I can turn off the pump if I need to for some reason. They also have additional sensors so you can get a soil moisture sensor and a um, water temperature. It's supposed to, it's designed to go in your pool or spa, but it's gonna go in my fish tank. And so that'll just have another sensor uh, listing here once we add that in. Tell so, us more um, about the individual components um, that you're using and, and what else could you do with it as far as, um, you know,
climate control and, and other things? Um, so you can, so based on the um, temperature of like, let's say um, the temperature of your water got uh, too cold, you could cycle your solar heater. So if you had a solar heater sitting outside that's heating up water, um, you could do that. It's got a UV light sensor, so you could um, see the light that was the sunlight that's hitting your weather station could trigger your lights, supplemental lights in your light depth to turn on and off. Um, <clears throat> you could water with your soil moisture. So if you're monitoring your soil moisture, um, even at different zones, so you can monitor them in different places. The one I have, you can have up to seven sensors, but they make other ones that you can have, you know, upgraded models, which I already wish I bought. Um, they're not that much more. I want to say like, I think the next step up is like 250 bucks or something like that. And then you can add on even more sensors than that. But there's the soil moisture, temperature, uh, the weather station gives you wind. So let's say you could set up, uh, if it gets too windy outside, you could close up all your greenhouses. Um, obviously your temperature and humidity could be, for your greenhouses could be controlled. What I think is interesting is that you can control, um, you can control both fans with the same sensor. So you have one sensor that you're in. So you're measuring your temperature and your humidity and you can control both fans with it individually. So I have different rules for each fan. So if the first fan can't handle the load, the second one will kick on when the temperature continues to rise or the humidity continues to rise. And then any of them can turn it off. So it really just kind of makes a box to keep your BPD in that's uh, not perfect, but pretty sound about 90% of the time, 90 to 92% of the time, I'm scoring inside the green for my uh, BPD. <clears throat> so I feel like for what I spent on it and um, for in the return I get on it, that's that's pretty good. Considering anything close to this that you would buy off the shelf is like two grand. So it's definitely uh, something to look into if you're, uh, you know, medium-sized grower or if you just want to get something. Like even if you just wanted to use it to do the manual stuff and you don't want to use all the rules or whatever, you don't have to, but I can have separate temperature and humidity rules for both fans. So whichever one gets out of range, it can kick on either fan or both fans if it needs to. And then once the condition is met for any of the fans or any of the rules to turn it off, it'll, it'll just turn it off. So it's more of a toggle that you can't turn it off more than once. It doesn't turn it back on mistakenly, I guess, is kind of what uh, what ends up happening. It doesn't matter which rule turns it off as long as somebody turns off the fan and then it allows it to stay back up. So whether your temperature or your humidity get out of whack, it will pull it back into line. All right. 
Um, this is something else that was super cool that I saw the last week or two. Uh, shout out to Bug Lady Susan, Suzanne Wainwright Evans. Um, she's got a whole bunch of great information out there on bugs. Um, she linked to this website. So these guys, AGDIA, actually do test strips for viruses and stuff like that. So they actually have tobacco streak virus kits. They have tobacco ring spot virus kits. They have tobacco mosaic virus kits. They have squash mosaic virus. They have ribgrass mosaic virus. They have a whole bunch of different um, uh, tomato ring spot virus, to, uh, tomato spot wilt virus. A lot of a lot of these things, uh, zucchini yellow mosaic virus. This has also been documented in cannabis. So. Um, you know, they, a lot of the different viruses that, that you may or may not end up with in your cannabis uh, are now actually testable. Uh, and, and, you know, you can buy these test kits um, from them um, on this website. So check it out. They're agdia.com. Um, but this is kind of a, at least in my, I wasn't aware of it up until recently. And uh, I don't think a lot of other people are. So if you have a, a virus or you want to get into an argument with somebody at your work, whether or not something's actually tobacco mosaic virus or something else, um, this is the place to order the test kit so that you can end it. Um, you know, you can check it out here. Um, obviously, you got to make an account to sign in to buy it, but uh, you know, you can get the different kits you need. <coughs> Uh, not this one, but this, uh, somewhere on here, I found it. Hold on a second. Anyways, uh, they do have uh, on here um, uh, just straight test strips that you can uh, you can do. So make sure that you um, give that a check out if you're you know a hardcore grower, you're a breeder, uh, and you want to you know have another resource that you can actually use for um, finding different pathogens. Um, you know, definitely a great thing that uh, I just found out about thanks to the bug lady. And um, you know, I want to make sure other people are, are well aware of it because it can be an invaluable resource, um, you know, especially with all the different mosaic viruses and things like that that are out there uh, and how many have been documented now in cannabis. Um, definitely. Uh, oh, here you go. I think this was it. Yeah, there you go. So they have these test strips, which are great because you can tell immediately. This one's for the papaya mosaic virus. Uh, obviously, I don't think papaya has been, but Arabis mosaic virus has been documented. We talk about this when we do the class. Um, Indica uh, Dogo wants to know if there's a corona coronavirus strip yet. No. A cu cucumber mosaic virus has also been documented in cannabis. Um, so you can get test kits for that. Um, you know, a, a lot of the different mosaic viruses have now been documented. So, um, you know, uh, maize dwarfing virus, um, you know, a whole bunch of great ones. So if you're looking, looking for that, uh, again, really great, great option. Squash mosaic virus, uh, tobacco etch, tobacco mosaic virus, tobacco streak virus, uh, tomato, le tomato leaf curl virus. So these are all and zucchini yellow mosaic virus. So again, all things that have been documented in cannabis and we've talked about uh, in the show, maybe we haven't talked about viruses extensively, but all the ones that we've just talked about have been documented in cannabis uh, uh, and there are white papers on that. So 
Uh, again, if you're looking for it, this is an immensely useful resource. Um, you can get five to 25 tests and uh, immediately find out if you have mosaic virus or streak virus or, or whatever else. Uh, and doesn't get much simpler to use than uh, test strips. So. That's cool. Now you can just send people there. I just stopped talking to people about it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I get so many arguments and I have so many really, you know this because yeah. you've seen a lot of my, I have so many textbook perfect examples where one strain has it immensely and you can see where it's been spread to the nearby strains in a particular room. And I have seen that now at a couple of different farms and uh, it's just, it's not really much worth arguing. It's just a matter of, you could argue over which mosaic virus it is because nobody really knows until we do this type of test, we'd have to order all the different ones until we found the right one. But um, you know, this is going to be some of the tools that we actually need to help unlock and help um, actually uncover some of the different things that uh, we, uh, we, we need in order to move everything forward and, and to actually, you know, eliminate a lot of the craziness, especially with mosaic viruses. People say it's not or it is and it's this and it's that and oh no, it's russet mites and, you know, oh, know. It, no, it, it's just naturally variegated and it's like actually... Well, uh, you don't know what you're looking at and <laughs> so I don't know for me it's like I think I think it's different because I've always grown with a plant count so mm -hmm. there's never been a good enough reason to worry about keeping anything that was like subpar you know what I mean like I can always find you know like up until recently I only grew six plants at a time you know, like, and even then, like, even at the largest plant count we had, which was <clears throat> 48, it's just not that much, you know. Here like, you go. This, this is the bomb diggity test right here. So does cucumber mosaic virus, tomato spot, wilt virus, uh, impatient necrotic spot virus, and tobacco mosaic virus all at once. That's pretty cool. trick. Yeah. You know, I just think when you have a plant count, you just inherently, if it's not for whatever, like, I don't care if it's a virus or russets or whatever, like, I'm probably just going to kill it, you know? Like, if you've got 100 plants and you can only keep half of them anyway, then you don't, you just pick the best ones and you kill the rest, you know? Like, I think there's a certain number of people when you grow with a plant count that just simply, like, don't care enough. You, you you argue with people way more about it than I do. That's for sure. Well, and I I'm passionate plenty about it. Plenty of people that are just like, no, no, can't be that. You're completely wrong. No. And you're like, what, why? Like, and they're like, you're just stupid. It can't be in cannabis. And you're like, why, why can't it be? And they're like, oh, because it can't. It's got zucchini in the name. So since it's got zucchini in the name, that means it can only be in zucchini. <laughs> And see, I've never, I don't even partake in these arguments. And I, I've read so many of Steve's arguments with them that like, that's just like, what, how are you going to argue with that? Like, so maybe the test strips are good. That's what I'm saying. Maybe you can end some of those sooner. You can be like, go to this website, run your test, send me the results. And if I don't hear from you, I'm going to assume I was right. And we'll both just move on. <laughs>
I don't know. I don't know what else to say. They're not willing to listen to anything or provide anything of substance in response. So what, there's nothing to argue with. Absolutely. And it's just, it's one of those things where there's so much inf bad information out there, especially regarding mosaics and variegation and everything else that, uh, uh, it just, it causes a lot of problems. And now we have this wonderful resource, uh, again, that was a D a G D I a.com. Uh, and they have a whole wide range of tests. Again, they have combo tests. Uh, and then a whole bunch of range, wide range of different uh, uh, mosaic viruses and other viruses, uh, plant virus uh, test strips. Uh, again, just click on viroids and then click on page five under viruses and viroids under products. Uh, and you will go to that. So you click on products and then go down to uh, pathogen tests and then go viruses and viroids. And then page five takes you to the test strips. All right. So uh, again, wonderful resource and something that we have not had anything that was remotely that simple. You know, if you were lucky enough to be able to send it off to have a friend at a pathology lab that would do it after hours because it was cannabis, uh, then you were lucky. But uh, other than that, you're pretty much SOL if you're trying to hard ID a viroid. So uh, again, wonderful, uh, wonderful resource for, for people out there. So what are some of the other things you're doing to get ready for spring? Uh, I know you're getting to pl plant a few outdoor and soil. You're doing some aquaponics. What are some of the stuff you're, you're getting ready to do and some of the things that you're looking to buy? And uh, Well, shit, I kind of just going for the greenhouse. I think I'm just going to forgo some of my other projects and dive right in. Um, you know, like especially starting a new job, I can't, uh, can't take on all the projects all the time anymore so uh i think i'm just gonna go go straight for the greenhouse and try to get the light that as functional as possible and i may i'm not sure but i might just uh <clears throat> set up the outdoor system and then build the greenhouse over the top of it um which would give me the option to build everything out and then if i want to just leave it as a pure outdoor this year and then after one full season harvest just build the greenhouse over the top of the existing system so i'm trying to work out the logistics of that and if i want to um, do that or if i want to just build the greenhouse at the same time i build the pad just because it'll i'll have all the equipment and people and everything there already so that's kind of the the stuff that I'm looking at and uh, <clears throat> and how I want to set up the greenhouse and where I wanted to go and kind of all of that fun stuff. But um, also uh, fruit and veggie starts. You know, my wife has done an excellent job um, in starting a whole bunch of various seeds and stuff. We have a little greenhouse. Um, I tried to do a live stream from out there and it completely failed. So I'll have to try again when. Uh, well, I guess I could try it on data. Probably wouldn't be too bad. I was trying it on my Wi-Fi. So I'll try to switch to data and that, that should work. But anyway, so I ran a little water line to it so that we can just have a couple little, like a little drip line system in there, start a whole bunch of seeds. So we've got all kinds of carrots and stuff, a bunch of sub-irrigated planters in the front yard, 
um, in the drip system out there. So maybe uh, next week or something, I'll do a I'll do a front yard because I'm I'm tearing up a whole bunch of uh, um, like ornamental flowers in the front yard, decorative flowers, I should say, um, in the front yard. I'm leaving some, but for the most part, we're tearing all that stuff out and putting in food. Um, based stuff so or stuff that produces so we have a lot of you know we already had a lot of herbs like they already had rosemary and thyme and a bunch of stuff was already established out there so that's cool um lots of mullein so i got all my all my wraps are good don't have to divide any papers um so and then we've got all kinds of stuff that we're just tearing out and then getting replaced with food so we've got uh Carrots, broccoli, uh, kale, a um, couple of artichokes, uh, which are pretty cool bushes. If you guys don't know anything about growing artichokes, you should go check it out. It's kind of, they're really fun plants to grow. So I'm excited to get some of those going. The elderberry that used to be in the aquaponic system at the old house is planted in the front yard now. Um, and it's uh, blown up and ready to uh, or it's already kicking out some flowers, so that's cool. Um, <clears throat> I will probably start another one in aquaponics. Uh, so I'll take a, a cutting off of that one or probably just a little, I'm, it's shooting up new roots everywhere. So I'll probably just separate part of it from the root zone and uh, put it back into another aquaponic system when I get set up out there. So I'll start propagating those. Um, so that'll be fun. Uh, I'm gonna get the um, the salad bar set up. If anybody remembers the salad bar, if you've been watching the podcast or my YouTube channel, I have it on my at my old house. I built an aquaponic system on the front porch. It's a um, big long. Well, it's not that long, but uh, what maybe ten feet long. Just one long bed uh, that. It sits on the used to sit on the front porch, and we just grew all kinds of different stuff for salad in it. We had tomatoes and lettuce and uh, celery and all kinds of stuff that we have grown in there. Um, so that's pretty cool. Indica wants to know: Do you need two different cuts of elderberry to get fruit? Someone told me that. I did not. I only had one, and I got lots of fruit, and I got fruit. The first year, if you guys go check, it's in the, um, on my YouTube channel, AP Meds. Um, we put it in. First year, we got maybe like two little bushes, bushels of elderberry, but <clears throat> it blew up. I put it in an existing dual root zone pot. So my uh, I had it all set up for cannabis. So uh, RIP my cannabis grow when the uh, the county shut me down. I just left the system out there and replaced it with other plants. So one of them was the elderberry, the other is the grape, which is also in the front yard. <coughs> so that's how uh, I put it in there. It was a cutting that was maybe this tall. And uh, I don't know if you guys can see that, maybe this tall. And, uh, you know, by the end of just the, the first year, it was a pretty solid plant. Uh, second year, it was huge, growing all the way up to the top of the gazebo. Um, 
and uh, did extremely well, put out a lot of fruit in the second year. And uh, I actually had people who grew elderberries um, on their farm, like they had a whole farm of elderberries who apparently saw, um, I don't know if they saw it on the podcast or just on my YouTube channel, but they contacted me privately about the speed at which my elderberry bush was putting out berries. And uh, we've seen that repeatedly in um, aquaponics in uh, my daughter's school project. We did, you know, we did the same thing. I've talked about it a few times also. Did one in aquaponics, one in a sub-irrigated planter with water from the same fish tank and all the same nutrients. So the same mix went into the dual root zone pot that went into the uh, sub-irrigated planter. And technically the, the plant in the sub-irrigated planter had twice as much soil. So you would, you would think that would, or at least conventional farming would suggest that would give it a, a larger soil footprint to flower from. You know, bigger roots, bigger fruits, which is relatively true in, uh, <laughs> in, a, in some form or fashion. But uh, it was a 60-day grow, and we had seven strawberries, six or seven strawberries produced by the aquaponics uh, system, and uh, no strawberries produced by the sub-irrigated planter. It had like seven or eight flowers on it, uh, but the aquaponic system had like more than double the number of flowers and had already produced it, ripening strawberries that the kids were able to eat at the science fair. So overall, extremely successful science experiment. Everybody really enjoyed it and uh, <clears throat> was just another example of fruit producing sooner in an aquaponic system. And uh, I definitely am a believer in that. I saw it in the grapes that I did also, same thing. Um, produced a small amount year one and you know probably a 70% yield, I would say, year two and 100% uh, yield by year three. And you know, usually like the tag on the elderberry bush said to not expect any fruit until the third year, just in the instructions. So I'm sure they're playing that on the safe side anyway, but it was, uh, I've seen it a number of times now. So I think that there's definitely something to it. So if you're growing something that fruits or flowers, you should check out aquaponics. But if you're here, you probably already are, so. Preaching to the choir. But yeah, so other stuff I'm planting. Um, so I'm just trying to position the garden so that anything that's tall, you know, grows on the far side of the garden where it's not going to block anything else. And then you can go look at like companion, companion planting charts. I think Steve planted or planted, posted. Uh, one in the aquaponic cannabis growers group. I think he shared it on his private page. And then the PFA, if I remember right, maybe one other one, he shared it a few times now, um, which is basically, it's a chart of plants that grow well and interact well together. So go check that out uh, and plant accordingly. Um, and you'll just increase your yield and, and avoid hurting it. There are 
along with likes that are dislikes. So definitely check that out. Where was that from, Steve? I don't remember. I just remember looking at it. Which one? The companion plant link? Yeah. Let me check one second. I'll pull it up on the group. There was another cool one, too, that you posted recently that uh, Roger was asking for. I don't know where Roger is tonight, but shout out to Roger. He was looking for the uh, the Soil King uh, nutrient breakdown of plants for um, like fermenting soil composition or not soil, nutrient composition of different plants, which was, throw, I thought that was useful. I'll throw that companion plant uh, link in the description as well along or through the virus link uh, for the test strips and the link of the YouTube and it'll also be in the description if you're listening to this podcast it'll be in the description as well uh, uh, and then uh, yes if you go to the Facebook section I did put the Excel sheet for the um, nutrient density for firm making ferments and stuff and compost teas in the file section under the aquaponic cannabis Facebook group which is also linked in the description of this um, video and or audio, depending on how you're consuming this. Yeah, I forget that uh, some a lot of people watch via the way more people listen to this as a podcast versus uh, watch on YouTube. And I forget that when I'm talking to people sometimes, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we don't." We don't watch anything. We just listen to it. So uh, I try to remember that when, when I, because it didn't occur to me until uh, I think you were telling me some of the results, like how many people were watching on YouTube versus how many people were listening via the podcast app. And then shortly after that, as soon as I became aware of it, somebody was like, oh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't watch at all. Yeah, we generally average around 20 times the listeners in the audio format than the video. So, I think I made a joke about your dreads, and they're like, oh, I didn't know you had dreads. I'm like, oh, right. You don't watch, you just listen. So, I don't Pretty mind. funny. Pretty funny. How long ago did uh, you start your dreads? My dreads are eight years old, eight and a half years old now. Nice. Yeah. I could just stop brushing my hair and I think I would have dreads in like a week max. They just get that. My hair gets that tangled. Like that's how curly it is. A couple of days max. And I'm just matted up. Crazy. But I can't stand it. So I couldn't do it. I admire your dedication. So what are some of the, um, when you're doing soil for your outdoor or maybe for your upper dual root zone, what are some of the different soil mixes that you're, uh, you're used to doing and um, uh, that you would, uh, you know, what are some different amendments and things like that that you like to use? So, you know, there's obviously the, you know, the super soil is I think the one that I started with, probably a lot of people started with. Um, so there's a few of them and my, my buddy came up with his own mix he calls it the trickster mix so shout out to him you can google that up and take a look one of the things that you have to remember 
if you're doing anything incorporated with aquaponics, whether you're even decoupled, you have to account for nitrogen. Um, and so whatever mix it is, like you can, you can Google up just about any soil mix and um, the variations that I have right now in the garage are all different popular mixes, but you, ha you have to substitute out at least most of the nitrogen. If there's anything that's nitrogen heavy in the soil mix, then at least when your plants go into flower, those have to be removed or accounted for. So if you're gonna keep, like here's a good example. I really like BioLife from Down to Earth, which is a great mix. I think Steve's going to get it right now. But what, the reason that I like it is that it has a great mix of fungal spores along with microbial. Um, so it's a great inoculant for both. And most of the time you don't, you don't get that, you get one or the other. So I think that uh, <clears throat> it's um, a great example of one that has a relatively high amount of nitrogen that I still use while oh, we found the cease. Yeah, so this is the this is the cease for anyone that's curious. This is that stuff I was saying is just the shit if you have an aquaponic garden. Totally aquaponic safe and just uh, it works really, really, really well. Uh, whether you're growing squash or tomatoes or cucumbers or cannabis, it works just awesome for PM. That's cool. So for the BioLife, because I, I basically want to use it as an inoculant as opposed to an amendment. So, or uh, supplement, whatever you want to call it. So that's uh, because I don't want the nitrogen content, I use like a 10th of what it calls for in a soil mix. So I'm basically just using it for uh, as an inoculant as opposed to its nutrient content in volume. So, um, but it's a great mix overall. Uh, uh, it's a great mix for veg, like especially if you have a, like, like maybe you don't have the biggest system and you're trying to feed uh, your plants so that they can grow more in veg. So you maybe you've got a small tank and large plants and you want to feed it a little bit more, then you can um, add some of that BioLive to your dual root zone mix in a larger percentage and use some of that nitrogen to help your, your system go. Like maybe your fish are already eating as much as you can and you're maxed out on fish density and you can't get a bigger tank for whatever reason. Uh, maybe you're limited on, on space or you'd rather use the space for bigger plants. Uh, then you can feed more nitrogen in your dual root zone layer uh, uh, to be able to do that. So that's a great example of just being aware of however you're feeding it um, and adjusting for veg versus flower. And so kind of the rule of thumb is I wanna keep that, I wanna have a ratio of about five, one, one, NPK, so five nitrogen, one phosphorus, one potassium <clears throat> for your general NPK throughout veg. And then you want to flip that to like a one five five and as you move into flower. So you're, you tra transition. And I really only, anymore, I generally top dress maybe twice um, and then lower my feeding. So but I'm really accounting in accomplishing that swing over the first couple of weeks of flower so that by the time you're in where I'm at now, starting the third week of flower, my system has already drained out a lot of the 
nitrogen through it, that natural veg process into the other plants I have in the system taking them up. So my lettuce was was at maturity in, in um, when I started flower and plus it's gonna pull anyway. Anything that's left in there once you switched over to 12-12, generally just general lettuce is gonna pop up anyway. But my kale is mature in taking up nitrogen at a high rate and I have a large number of plants that are established in the system to suck, essentially suck up all that nitrogen. And I can see when those, they're not necessarily companion plants, but when those other plants in the system um, start to struggle for nitrogen, uh, you know, you can kind of use those to read your system at the same time. But that's the kind of swing that you want from, in my opinion, when you go from veg to flower, and when you're mixing your dual root zone, you have to make sure that when you top dress your dual root zone, as you transition in the flower or deep in the flower, that you're not adding in more nitrogen. So um, that's where you, you have to be aware of the mix that you use, going back to what Steve was talking about. So even super soil, um, there are a couple of amendments in there that are relatively high in nitrogen that you might want to swap out for something like a lingbanite uh, that is going to be, uh, you know, be able to up your, your P in, in K more significantly. Well, that would be K more significantly. And, uh, and then look at the, the nutrient calculator that Steve posted and, um, you know, do some different ferments that will be able to up the phosphorus. There was one in there that even when I was looking at, it, I thought was interesting. I can't remember what it was now, but there's one comment around here that's really high in phosphorus. Um, I'll have to go look at that list again and see what it was. But um, you know, look for uh, plants that you can wildcraft, like horsetail that we get for silica. You can find um, other stuff to be able to do that. And then obviously, um, in any of these, just about any of these things, you can use to feed like a worm bin or something like that to turn it into uh, you know like a liquid-based uh, nutrient in your your worm leche or however you want to say it. In 18 different people have 12 different ways to pronounce it. So um, worm juice, that's what I call it. And so there's, uh, a, there's a, go ahead, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's all right. So you can just take those same things and essentially feed them to worms or put them in a worm bin and allow them to decompose and the worms eat that if you want to get really technical. Um, <clears throat> but things like BioLive or different things like that, you can just um, add them in. And I know people that'll just make teas out of them anyway. You can put them in like a, um, an aerated compost tea uh, and do like a, I don't know what they call it, but like a, a nutrient-based uh, tea as well. So there's a lot of different ways to use the same amendments to get them into your aquaponic system, but I haven't found anything that I think is as simple as just uh, removing the nitrogen from a soil mix and tuning as much uh, P and K into your dual root zone as you want to have throughout most of your flower cycle. And I feel like you can accomplish that in one to two top dressings of soil if you mix those in high rates and apply them roughly, you know, one right before flower, ideally. So like a week before you switch. So uh, what I do is I, I do it the same day that I start counting down. So my veg time is 18.6. 
And then I count down every day an hour. So the next day is 17, 16, 15, until you get down to 12, 12. <clears throat> so the same day that I start switching, so the day I go from 18 to 17, that's when I top dress the first time. And then I kind of evaluate around week uh, two to three, so kind of where I'm at right now is really about the last time that I want to top dress. Um, ideally, I'll top dress now and um, cover them up. I'll cover up the dual root zone layers and then be able to uh, um, leave them that way throughout the rest of the flower and the whole rest of the cycle. And then I will pull plants out and redo it all again at harvest time. There was a chat. There was a chat question. So he says, "Do you plant greens like lettuce in the media beds during flower to help eat up the end?" So I wanted to mention something on this because before we've previously mentioned to plant lettuce. So yes, you do want to plant some greens uh, to eat up your your nitrogen. But um, now that we're seeing some examples from other aquaponic farms now uh, transferring lettuce. Um, lettuce, chlorosis, virus, and potentially other viroids uh, in, uh, via the water, uh, we are now saying do not plant lettuce specifically. Um, grow peppercress, grow, you know, other greens, grow basil, grow, you know, there's, there's tons of different greens that you can grow uh, that have a lower chance of viroid transfer, um, but avoid lettuce in particular. Uh, and then the other one to avoid if you're trans, uh, cross planting with one exception would be nightshades. So potatoes, uh, tomatillos, um, to, uh, uh, toma uh, tomatoes, tomatillos, and potatoes. Um, now, the one exception to that would be if I'm an outdoor cannabis farmer and I'm planting in the soil and I'm having problems with the rodents, um, you can often plant uh, tomatoes intermingled with the roots of your cannabis and the histamine from the uh, uh, nightshades will actually uh, stop them from munching on your cannabis roots quite so much um, but uh, it doesn't work 100% of the time but it does work quite a bit um, and, and can be a, a way to do that but in, in general um, uh, try to avoid doing lettuce as your, your nitrogen sponge but yeah you absolutely can do it uh, just know that you, you do have that chance of introducing a viroid um, we do not recommend kale or brassicas because remember kale and brassicas release a lilopathy into the soil that actually kills local mycorrhizal fungi. Um, so uh, it, it does not have an associative uh, relationship with mycorrhizal fungi. So we do not want to plant brassicas. So no collard greens, kale, um, broccoli, um, Brussels sprouts, uh, mustard greens, nothing like that. Um, I think that would be more of a concern if you were like directly planting in the dual root zone as opposed uh, to the media bed. You know, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I think if the roots are touching, I think they're going to inhibit locally where those roots are touching those other roots for sure. Interesting. I mean, I never noticed, uh, but I, I, I get it's it. not like anything I've measured, so. It's not going to kill your plants, but it's definitely going to, you know, make them a little bit less than what they could be, uh, I guess, is the, you know, the, the lesson. So a uh, lot you can do clover, you can do purslane, you could do thyme, you can do oregano, you could do, um, hold on, I'll go, I'll grab my other ground covers. We'll see what else I'm growing. 
Uh, so a couple other questions. Let's see. Uh, is there any truth to worm juice possibly having something bad in it? So that's a great question and point. Um, yes, it absolutely can. And it's 100% uh, dependent on obviously how your worm bins are set up and what you feed them. Um, but it, it's, uh, so for instance, I have some general rules about what I feed mine, which is um, only only fruits, like nothing, no fertilizer or no, uh, what'd you call it? No manure, uh, no meat waste. Um, so just basically all, uh, all fruits and vegetables. So there are uh, definite concerns if you are using any type of uh, manure. So that's a great point. Thanks for bringing that up. And I don't know, Steve, do you have any other concerns aside from that with uh, worm juice? Um, I would just say that, you know, you do always have the chance of introducing a, a pathogen when you are dealing with that type of, you know, still kind of newly active compost. Um, but again, if you're doing, you know, if you're following your proper Korean natural farming regimens, you're dosing with labs, you're dosing with IMO, you're dosing with all your regular stuff, you're not going to have those problems. Um, so it just depends on what type of regimens you're actually doing with your farm. And we've talked about quite a bit about, um, you know, how to do that. I, I've done some videos with Chris Trump. I think Chris Trump and I have been talking, him and I were talking the other day about maybe doing a series specifically on together on aquaponic production uh, of um, uh, KNF stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll get to that eventually. Um, I've been reading a lot of people doing chamomile uh, with their cannabis as well. Definitely going to do that. A lot of people are saying that helps with THC levels. Um, I know that. Uh, yeah, again, I don't know any truth to it, but I know that there are people that are doing that right now. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to find some of the other ones. I had a, it's good for tea anyway, right? I wrote a bunch of stuff down the other day on this for the book and I'm trying to remember where I put it down at. Anyways, um, so uh, one of the so other Dan things- wants to know how does basil help? Basil helps because basil is very potent in scent. Uh, a lot of insects don't like the smell of it. Um, so it kind of helps deter a lot of insects. Indica says, is it better to just back off on fish feeding during late flower than to plant greens? So I back off on fish. Combo. Yes, I do both. Yeah. So, and sometimes I will not only, it depends on my, the fish that I have and the, the size of them, I guess, usually, but sometimes I will do half as much, half as often. So that really comes out to about a quarter of the input, uh, especially late in flower. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say definitely a combination of both is necessary. Uh, anytime you feed, you're going to have some type of spike. And if you, the more plants you have to be able to absorb that spike faster. And as we like to say nowadays, flatten the nitrogen curve, um, that the more plants you have to take it up at once are probably going to be the most effective. So, um, that's the, the strategy is to come at it on, on both fronts. So that way you're not, you know, feeding one pellet at a time. Shoot, I lost my train of thought there. 
Oh. Um, uh, I would avoid planting mint. Uh, that definitely gets out of control. Oh, yeah. Uh, what else would you avoid planting in there? What else would I avoid planting in there? Um, Nightshades and lettuces, I would avoid. Avoid brassicas. You know, I would say that, uh, you know, anything that's going to take over a bed is probably going to be more problematic uh, than anything else. Um, I think that I don't plant anything else inside my dual root zones. I leave that entire space for the, the cannabis plant and for where the majority of the soil microbes are going to live to establish in there. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll plant chamomile or thyme. I'll, I'll do light ground covers. So I'll do clover, chamomile, or thyme in, in my top of my dual root zones. I find that especially if you're outdoor or in a greenhouse setting, it really helps reduce evaporation gives you that micro humid climate. Um, the downside is, you know, it can give a, depending on what type of cover crop you do with that, it can give an area for pests to live. But uh, if you're using chamomile or some of the other stronger ones, they generally don't like that stuff very much. But a lot well, of bugs kind of will like that. that. A lot of bugs will like that over your cannabis plant. And hey, if they end up on that instead of your cannabis plant, it's still a win, so. For sure. And uh, I think that I just accomplish it by because I've been covering my pots, which I think somebody asked about that too. Um, so uh, I've been the last couple of runs, which I haven't done any in a long time. This is my first flowering run in like a year, which is awesome. So all you members of the Facebook group, I apologize in advance for all my pictures, but I haven't flowered anything in like a year. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, and, and so I think that... Uh, this year or this particular run, um, I will have a couple of them that are covered and a couple of them that aren't, you know, now that I have more plants that I've ran before, I'll be able to do that. Um, I do, I did find it to be what I, I feel like was effective as a barrier. Um, I did get a nice healthy uh, mat growing on top, you know, I had a nice healthy, uh, what do you call that stuff, grows out of the Sorry, I'm wiped out today. The um, streptomyces that grows on top, I forget what the name of it is right now. But uh, when I top dress with the Bokashi. What's that? Actinovate? No, um, I top dress with the EM1 and I get a nice healthy, uh, you know, white mat grown on top of the soil. And uh, then I cover it in plastic or when I cover in plastic, it helps that fungal growth really take over. So, um, and that was the idea. We, uh, the inspiration for that was um, seeing Chris Trump's video about uh, originally about uh, fungal dominant soil. And then he talked about it again um, when he was uh, on the podcast, we talked about um, flowering plants, preferring uh, fungal dominant soil mimicking what happens uh, you know, late in fall. Um, and how the uh, how all that. So if you guys haven't um, heard him go on that spiel, which I think he's done a couple of times on the show, and uh, at least one of his videos where he he shows some great examples of plants growing in different zones that are that are healthy and some right next to each other that um, are, are great examples of, of um, what he's talking about. So 
that was the original inspiration behind it. And so I get the, my microclimate by just covering it with, with plastic, but it would essentially do the same thing if you're just growing a cover crop as opposed to uh, uh, an appropriate one, obviously, like you were talking about chamomile or something, um, but it would provide that same shade to the soil as well, right? Because you're, you're growing like a thick mat of it over the top, is that accurate? Yeah, generally you want to grow a thick mat, something you can cut and chop and use as live mulch. Uh, again, you're doing the same practice as you would for a typical li live soil or living soil. We're doing living soil in our aquaponic system. So, uh, you know, all those same things apply just the same. Um, there was a question in chat about, do you guys, how do you guys feel about dichondra uh, for a cover crop? Um, you can use it. Uh, I don't, you know, it's just a flower. So, you, you know, you're not getting any kind of benefit. I would prefer to grow something like peppercress or watercress or thyme or oregano, something I can eat. You know, it's going to do well in that lower light, you know, through the canopy anyway. Um, uh, dichondra might not do so well with that, that little light. So um, uh, that would kind of be my uh thing against it um someone else asked citronella no um we're not talking about citronella um i think they're asking about if you could grow citronella oh you could absolutely grow citronella um in your grow the plants get kind of big they have pretty large leaves so maybe if you're doing outdoor maybe they're maybe very similar to a mint and i i would assume i haven't grown citronella in a media bed but i would assume that they would take over a media bed pretty similar to what a mint will, just because you grow similarly. I, I would hesitate to do citronella in the same way I would hesitate to do mint. I would put it in a pot so you at least have a chance of being able to get it out if you need to. Absolutely. Um, uh, Indica asks, is there a plant high in sulfur to use for FPGA to promote terp production? Is there a direct association with sulfur and turp production? I've never heard of that one. <clears throat> I know I've heard that before, but I don't know if it was based on anything or not. Oh, but, yeah, uh, no, that's <laughs> the first I've heard of that one. Somebody else said, uh, I think, where'd it go? Sundance. What do you do? Remove it? Sundan asks, are there com uh, companion plants which enhance terpene production? Um, okay. the, the thing that was going to enhance terpene production is having more beneficial microbes around the roots. So uh, the more different types of plants are going to have different beneficial mycorrhizae. So purslane has, a, I think, over 20 different mic documented mycorrhizal fungi to date. Uh, clover, um, uh, different grasses. Uh, uh, all these things make great companion plants um, because of the wide, you know, enormously wide range of different um, uh, beneficial mycorrhizal fungi that all of these different plants can uh, house on their root systems compared to cannabis, which is a, a much more narrow range. But those different mycorrhizal fungi can ex exchange nutrients with each other the same way that the plants exchanging it with the mycorrhizal fungi, those different mycorrhizal fungi can exchange nutrients as well. I guess peas would be another one that I would, you know, say not do. Yeah, legumes, probably I would steer away from legumes. Uh, at least in aquaponics, if you're outdoor, um, it would definitely be a little bit different. You'd want to put those nitrogen fixers in, but 
for aquaponics definitely i would i would steer away from those anything vining also is going to not be the greatest aquapros says uh so if grass is good can you give us a tip on how to keep it from taking over yeah put it put it in bordered areas or put it in pots Tubers, uh, so tubers generally don't grow particularly well in aquaponics. Tubers can be great if you're growing an outdoor soil that is very clumpy, very clay-like or, or very hard because it busts, they'll bust up the soil. If you have, you know, pretty dense soil that doesn't have a lot of air in it, they can be great for just kind of, um, you know, organically rototilling the ground and, and just busting the ground up and getting more airflow and getting more water down a little bit deeper. So. Um, that can be a great way to to utilize tubers, but um, uh, again, you would want to avoid potatoes because, like we talked about, can transfer uh, being a nightshade can transfer viroids uh, to cannabis plants. So uh, you know, maybe beets, radishes, onions, those things would be good, um, but I would avoid uh, potatoes especially. And uh, so some of the other stuff that we're going to be planting out here, um, we have some uh, 84 or 64.8 pound um, cantaloupe seeds. So you can see these guys right here, big giant guys. We have some 315 pound watermelon seeds. All right. We got some 1,944 pound pumpkin seeds. And we got some 82 pound mammoth yellow cucumber seeds. So we're gonna grow some giant stuff. We're gonna take the, uh, we do a little bit of an extra water purge, maybe one half a percent or so from the aquaponic system through part of our filtration system. We're going to run that down and uh, to our irrigation line to our, our watermelon and pumpkin patch and uh, grow some monsters this year. It'll be fun. So we'll have uh, quite a fun experiment all fed by aquaponics. So some of the other stuff I wanted to touch on. Um, you know, for people that are out there looking for a great resource, let me uh, get share back on. So this is a great uh, company. You can find these guys at a lot of different stores. Um, they're OMRI certified. They're looking to do aquaponics, but if you're looking for different resources, uh, obviously true aquaponics is great for minerals. Uh, if you are for some reason unable to order for, for them, um, you know, you can get calcium sulfate, calcium carbonate, or calcium magnesium carbonate, langbanite. Um, or I'm sorry, this is dolomite. Uh, they also sell langbanite um, uh, uh, at most of your local places. Um, all can be used in aquaponics. Their azomites can be used in aquaponics. Just be sure you don't go crazy. Remember, it does have some, some metals in it. Uh, in a closed loop system, it's not particularly great. Um, bat guanos, and again, in general, are pretty good for providing early on nitrogen uh, in your dual root zone. Uh, don't go crazy. Um, Do not do also... flower. A lot of times I see yes. people recommending it for flower and talking about using it during flower. And I'd like, I would never. <laughs> I would hesitate to use it on a grow that didn't have anything to do with aquaponics. I would hesitate to use it yep. um, in flower. And so... 
you can replace it with something like even bone meal over here. And then you just need to be able to supplement what's left here. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm using my mouse and you can't see it. Um, so just when you're swapping out something like that, because you'll find bat guano in a number of soil mixes. So just make sure that when you see it, or you see, if you see cottonseed meal, or even if you see crab meal, and definitely if you see feather meal, then you know you're going to have to swap that out. Um, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, and again, you can see there's leafy greens on this because that's, you know, they're heavy nitrogen suckers uh, on the bone meal and the, and the feather meal. Uh, now, bone and feather meal, again, are great for compost teas. Um, uh, blood meal and bone meal uh, and feather meal all make great for compost teas and soil amendments for soil. Um, I would, again, I would more or less steer away from something like bone meal or blood meal uh, unless or, or feather meal, unless you're going to do really small amounts. Uh, in your soil just to provide it uh, in dual root zones just to provide enough nutrients to to get it down into that water uh, you know that first week or so is all you really need to provide for um, other ones that you can use cottonseed meals another good one that's fish safe um, crab uh, crab meals fish safe um, you know the fish meal i would avoid using uh, unless you're going to use soil which is in which case it's fine fish bone meal another great one if you're doing soil a little bit higher in phosphorus. Uh, granular humic acids, which is another great product. Um, you know, if you aren't able to get the full humix or full power from, um, um, what's his name? Bioag, uh, Dr. Faust uh, over there at Bioag. Um, you know, he's another great backup that you can get from them. Uh, green sand not really much of an application for what we're doing. Um, kelp meal, again, a great one. We often use that for our, our different compost teas to accelerate uptake. Uh, insect frass can be great. Now we've talked about a little bit about doing um, Korean natural farming. Now, when you're doing Korean natural farming, uh, you do IMO collection. Well, one of the wonderful things that we I, I learned to do in the last year and something that we're, we've been doing in Africa is, look, we don't have access to fertilizers or sprays. And if I do, I need to import it from the West or some other place. And it's just too damn expensive. So we take insect frass, we mix it with our rice, we boil it with our rice, <laughs> and then we take it and we put it out with our IMO collection. We do about 25 to 30% uh, of the insect frass in there. Uh, do the IMO collection and then take that and then make IMO2, then IMO3, then IMO4, uh, and, we, and then make liquid IMO from either the IMO2 or the IMO4. Uh, and it works incredibly well as a pest spray. Um, you actually end up collecting the beneficial bacteria uh, that actually will feed on the chitin or the, the, the skeletons of the insects. Uh, so you end up with these little bacterial parasites that actually live on your plant and feed on the exoskeletons uh, of those um, uh, insects as they come across. So if you're fighting grasshoppers or a lot of caterpillars, that type of stuff, this can be a great way to, to, to kill them off uh, uh, pretty quickly and um, you know uh, not have to deal with them uh, long term and, and have an active defense, microbial defense against those types of things that you can brew and create uh, on your own property um, you know, with just the additive of, of insect frass and rice um, and sugar which is really amazing. 
Langbenite, which we talked about before, calcium, uh, potassium, magnesium, sulfate, a great, great thing, especially if you need to raise both potassium and magnesium, uh, really a wonderful product. Um, and theirs is particularly water soluble. You, I've used it for years. Uh, neem seed meal, avoid completely in aquaponics. It's too fish toxic. Um, oyster shells are, again, pretty low bioavailability, but great uh, if you're going to do maybe like a... Um, Oh, uh, what? I can't think of it. The the thing when you, you put the calcium carbonate and vinegar for Korean natural farming. Oh, uh, WCA. WCA, yes. So you can do WCA with the cal calcium meal, the crab meal, the oyster shells, or the shrimp meal. Um, seabird guano, uh, you know, the, the problem with seabird guano is it's high in sodium. So in general, I try to steer people away from seabird guano for that reason. Um, yes, it's super high in phosphorus, but remember, birds can't get birds don't sweat, uh, and they don't have uh, they only have one way to go to the bathroom. We have two ways to go to the bathroom, so we excrete salt mainly through our urine, and they have a cloaca, which is kind of uh, uh, comes out like a milkshake, and it's kind of a poop and we've pee. all seen it hit. Yeah, so. Um, uh, they don't have a, so, so they have a lot of sodium that comes out either through their nostrils, which they have a mechanism to do that through most seabirds, or they'll come out the sea, the rest of the salt comes out through their waste stream. So it tends to be very high in sodium, which in a closed loop aquaponics system can be a problem. Which real quick, let's just touch on that for a second, because I feel like it's important to note that just because they list the NPK on here does not mean that's all there is. Yeah. Like. Uh, you can click on that and one of the things uh, and go and see like the um, the guaranteed analysis for instance and you'll find that most of these also have calcium that's one of the ones that you'll find in a lot of dry amendments so if you're on well water that already has a lot of calcium and then you pick all of your amendments also are adding sometimes up to 17 to 18 percent of the entire volume being calcium <laughs> just because it's not listed on here doesn't mean it's not in there the, the npk is not the only thing to look at for what it consists of so definitely look for more than just that absolutely absolutely uh all right so and then you have soybean meal again uh, pretty high in nitrogen compared to other things. Rock phosphate can be used. Again, uh, make sure it's not high in heavy metals, uh, depending on your source. Um, and uh, it tends to be not too consistent, right? So when you one, one from batch to batch tends to vary quite a bit. And also relatively slow release. Yes. So it's not like something that you can just add in. So like maybe if you wanted to put it like in your starter dual root zone mix for when your first plants go in, then you might get some more of the benefit from it um, when, when you need it. But unless you're going to be leaving your dual root zone pots in place and planting them again, which I do, then you may not see as much value, um, sustained value out of rock phosphate. And some people argue that it's not very sustainable in the way that it's farmed anyway. Uh, you guys use azomite. I do not use azomite. Um, not because I have like a grudge against it or anything. I've just never needed to. Always been on well water. So for the most part, 
if you're on well water or if you're not using RO water, um, you're, you're probably going to get most of your amendments that you need when you add other stuff. So I've never needed to, and if you do, just uh, be aware that it's <clears throat> it can contain heavy metals. And in a closed loop system, using it over time, it's problematic or can be problematic. So especially if you're not testing your system. So if you're testing it on a regular basis and you can monitor some of those levels, then great. But how often do you test for those? Like I personally, not very often. So uh, if you're not going to test very often, you're going to need to be pretty selective about your, in selective about your inputs. So that's my position on azomite. One second here, let me pull up. Uh, I got a list of other inputs here. I'm sure, I have chat open. So, so I, azomite, this is my problem with azomite is azomite has a lot of heavy metals. And in an aquaponic system, what, you know, I know that there's even other aquaponic people that recommend just putting in rock, uh, glacial rock dust and stuff. I actually worked with a product, we used to sell a product to the aquaponic source called aquaponic elements, which was basically rock dust in a giant tea bag you put in where the water flows into your, your grow bed, which was a great product, you know, as far as application, but um, it had a lot of heavy metals in it that were dissolving over time too, uh, unfortunately. So um, that's the problem with a lot of these glacial, a lot of these quote unquote glacial rock dusts are actually a mining byproduct. Uh, so that's really, <laughs> where this stuff is really coming from. So that's that's why it's not really always the best stuff and why there's always a lot of metal in it because that's the point, right? They're not mining this stuff for the purpose of the the, um, the growing industry. They're mining, it's a byproduct they're marketing to the growing industry. It's someone's trash. That's what byproduct means. <laughs> it's somebody threw it out while they were doing something else and then decided that they should sell it because somebody would buy it instead of yep. having to throw it away so it's just not they just monetize waste disposal basically yeah and it's relatively inconsistent from what i've heard again i can't base it on because i've never actually used it or tested it but i've done a relative amount of reading on it and there's can be a lot of variance from batch to batch, just like Steve was saying. Yeah. Um, so some of the other inputs you can use. Um, as I some people don't like to use langbanite either because most of it is, even though it is naturally occurring, a lot of it is made in a lab, like combining the couple elements to make it crystallize. Yeah, it's precipitated out, but it's still, I don't know. I don't have a problem as much with langmanase. Um, Epsom salt's kind of the same way. Yeah, um, I guess I'm indifferent. <laughs> I mean, so, I use it and it, I find it to be effective. So and I don't think it has a negative impact on the environment as much as like, uh, even arguably bad guano, there's probably some in the collection methods of that that are probably not ideal. Oh, you can find a problem with anything, I think, if you look too hard. 
but some people will not consider it to be an organic input um, because it's synthetically. Most of what you buy, even the stuff from down to earth, I'm pretty sure is uh, is created in a lab. Those stuff's all certified Omri, so I'm not sure on that. Yeah, I, I meant more like hardcore sustainable farmer organic term, not organic certified pay to play stuff. Sure. So some of the other ones that are about there, alfalfa meal is a great one. Um, I know we've talked quite a bit about that for compost. Use tea. it in a great uh, for tea. It's also yeah. great for alfalfa. Yeah, great for accelerating uh, uh, plant growth. Um, hold on, where's my list here? Here we go. Uh, feather meal, a good one. Crab meal, soybean meal, shrimp meal. Um, we talked about those. Um, uh, Caranja meal, seed meal uh, is another one that can be used. Won't hurt your fish. Mustard seed meal, won't hurt your fish. Um, we talked about insect frass, rice husks. So rice husks are great for ferments, so particularly uh, if you can find um, charred rice husks are extremely high in silica and, and great for FPJs and, and for lab ferments. Uh, uh, and when you're, when you're adding uh, different ingredients to really boost silica in a short period of time. Um, stay away from, you know, uh, mammal manures. Uh, those definitely can get you in trouble with pathogens. Um, you know, seaweed extract is a good one. Stay away from yucca extract. Uh, aloe vera extract is a good one. Um, but uh, remember, before we talked about yucca extract, yucca will kill your fish in extremely low doses. Uh, the saponin in the yucca is actually the lethal component, so avoid those. Uh, humic and fulvic acids are a good option uh, if you're looking for uh, trying to boost plant speed of growth, particularly when you're germinating. Um, you know, I added some fulvic acids. We had, I had plants that were about an inch tall after three days of uh, putting them in the ground. So I was pretty impressed uh, with the, adding the full power to the seed germination uh, watering this time. And we'll talk about all this stuff. I have a, I'm working on a, a long format book and we'll have a whole bunch of this uh, wonderful information in it um, as well. Um, let me see what else I have on the list here. You know, some people asked about corn silage and corn stalks. That's, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of nutrients in it uh, compared to other stuff. Um, uh, Eggshells uh, can be used for, for a little bit of stuff, but again, the, the, it's not very sol soluble. check chat again oh we had quite a bit in chat crushed walnuts you know walnuts have a lot of um kind of an anti-plant growth uh, uh effect to them so i would i would stay clear of walnuts black walnut walnuts in particular you know nothing really grows underneath them you can use the amendments in your teas you can use the amendments in your soils um it really depends on what you're doing uh, you know, this is just kind of the ingredients for your toolbox. I heard Mr. Faust mention steel slag is a source of silica mixed in soil. 
I'm curious about your thoughts on that heavy metal risks. I don't think he was talking about silica. I think he was talking about humix. That some humix are actually uh, coke, leftover coke ash. I believe is what he was referring to. Uh, if memory serves me correctly, Marty, do you remember that, or did you step away for a moment? I think Marty might have stepped away for a moment. Hoof and horn meal, again, is another one that can come out, you see available sometimes, super high in nitrogen. Um, I'm not sure what, oh, did you switch downstairs? Oh, that's what he was doing. He's switching uh, cameras. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Sweet. All right, so I am standing right next to the exhaust fan, so it's going to kick on in a little bit, so apologize for that. <clears throat> so, yeah. This is uh, this is a grow room, or this is a flower room, I should say. We got the beds here. So this is pineapple by uh, what is it? Pineapple by banana frost, and then these over here are Thorsberry. Got my fish over here that think they're gonna get fed. Chilling out. Camera sorted here so I can see it. My lens is fogging up because the humidity is changing in here. The light just turned on. So there we go. This is uh, day 21. You can see I got some of them are lollipops, and some of them aren't. And I've got different sized pots in different places, a couple of different mixes. So I'm going to do uh, something similar to an IMO. But since I'm growing indoors, I'm going to do all of these different uh, samples. So like I have all the different soil mixes and different sized pots. You can see here's that uh, bolted lettuce I was telling you guys about. I got to pull out. But uh, each one of these is going to, um, you know, well, not all of them, some of them are the same. But I've got about four different mixes in here in different size pots and places. And whichever one's performed the best, I'm going to take samples of those in the same way that you would take a sample of an IMO from outside if you're trying to mimic the outdoor grow environment. But I'm going to start essentially culturing my most effective dual root zones and then adding those to my top dress and flowering, if that makes sense. Do you get any close-ups of the plants? Somebody asked in chat. Tell us, tell us how those look different from similarly aged plants that'd be in soil. Um, 
I would say the biggest difference that I notice is just the um, like the speed of growth during beds, like how the overall size of the plant, the um, like you can see the number, like there's even branches, you know, coming out down underneath here, like the lower branches, especially in aquaponics really just seem to, to take off. I think it's in my opinion, which is just anecdotal, so you can think whatever you want, but it's constant access to water allows that growth across the entire plant. So you don't see as much, uh, you know, just vertical growth as you do more of a, of a bush. And some of it's genetic, I'm sure. Um, but I've seen it, I feel like perform that or differently in aquaponics versus in like the sips or the raised beds that I grew the same, same cuts in. Nice. Those plants are looking nice and thick and lush. And how are you liking those lights? You know, I'm, the, the jury's obviously still out till everything comes in, but, um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, you know, considering all these lights in here are about just under 4,000 watts. So for a 20 by 20 room, that's, uh, or canopy, I should say. I think the overall size of the room is bigger, but the footprint of the lights is 20 by 20. Um, so it's not not a lot, I would say, for that that size. Definitely people run in a lot more wattage for the same square footage. And uh, my initial investment is really low, like 30 bucks a light. Um, so it's really tough. Like while I do love LEDs and I do have an LED that I got from Mars Hydro, they've been really great and flexible with me because I've been uh, tweaking stuff in my system and doing other stuff, you know, obviously all the virus stuff going on and I haven't been able to get uh, their tester light swapped in, but I am gonna put it in over there uh, in one little square and I'm gonna, so I'll have one section of LED, probably gonna reserve any judgment on it until it can go through a full run um, in the next cycle, but it'll finish out that plant that's over there. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And then in the next one, we'll have a true grow off. And I'm hoping to have a couple of different LEDs um, to do in a grow off. So ideally I could replace a whole row of lights uh, with different LEDs and be able to compare those against the ceramic metal halides, which right now, um, these are 330 watt ceramic metal halides. So if you don't know about those, they are conversion bulbs for 400 watt, um, uh, 400 watt metal halide, just high bay lights. So they, I just bought these used, people use them for all kinds of different stuff nothing fancy. I really just wanted to be able to cover the square footage um, for not a lot of investment because I didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so that was kind of, uh, kind of the thought. And I grew, I've grown under them, flowered under them before at the old house. If you guys want to check that out, I grew underneath them a couple of different times and uh, it comes out pretty well. Um, 
I don't know. Do I prefer LED? Yes, I definitely prefer LED. Uh, can I afford LED for the entire room? No, I can't afford LED for the entire room. So in the future, the, the plan, the rough plan is to uh, replace all these with LEDs when I can afford it. And then all of uh, these lights will go to the light dev greenhouse and be my supplemental lights uh, for that system. So hopefully the timing of all of that will work out and I can pull all that off. Um, and I might even do a combination. I might just replace half of these lights with LEDs and have and run a mixed room. So I'll have half ceramic metal halide and half LED. Uh, so I don't know, it all kind of depends on uh, how this run finishes out. What do you guys think? Starting, uh, or we're just, what I say, day 21. So we're just finishing week three, starting week four. Look at them. Well, we're hungry. They always think they're hungry. Mostly because in flour they usually are. So I'm going to try and not drop my phone in the fish tank while I lean over here and show you guys this. What was the question? Good question from chat. How does aquaponics do in a backyard garden? Do you want to answer that one first? How does it do in a backyard garden? Yeah. Um, well, you should go check out my YouTube channel, AP Meds. I tracked my backyard grow uh, for probably four years with both uh, aquaponic cannabis and then after my outdoor got shut down by regulation, um, various fruits and vegetables and different stuff. So I personally think it does great in a small backyard system or a large backyard system. Anywhere that you can get the sun next to your window, I'm sure it'll do great. Uh, what else do we got in chat here? Thinking of combining no-till with drain-to-waste aquaponics outdoor, what do you think? Drain-to-waste, so decoupled aquaponics, yeah. I would, you know, just <clears throat> the same considerations we already talked about, I would say, which is that even in your drain-to-waste aquaponics systems, your nitrogen content's going to be high. You're basically looking at a 5-1-1, or depending on your fish food, maybe a 5.51 nutrient composition of fish food. So uh, regardless of whether you feed a cup or a pound of that, it's not gonna change the ratio at all. So you can't, uh, you can't vary your nutrient profile the way you need to by simply uh, changing the amount of food you feed. And that will apply exactly the same in, uh, in decoupled the only difference is, is that you'll probably be able to dissipate that nitrogen off into the soil easily. So it'll take a lot more nitrogen for the, the plant to feel toxified by it, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. This is Grace, nice even canopy, looks super healthy. 
Looks great. Nice garden. I have a 150 gallon stock tank uh, with koi. Do you think that would work? Uh, 150 gallons, I would say, yeah. I, I've done systems uh, that size. Um, go check it out on my uh, YouTube channel. You can see the updates and uh, harvest and watch me smoke it in other episodes on the podcast later on after it dried. Uh, pretty much that entire plant life cycle is on YouTube. You can, you can check all that out. And uh, that system was, uh, you know, right about 150 gallons. So you, you can grow, you know, easily. Uh, you know, I would say you probably grow eight to 10 plants on 150 gallons recycling if you really pushed it. To give you an idea for these 12 plants that are out here, um, I have close to a thousand gallons. So you can really push the ratio one way or the other, depending on how much you feed and how many fish you have. Because um, even though I have a lot of water going in here, I don't have a, a ton of fish. I'm probably running like a, you know, 30% fish density compared. Like I could, I could put another, uh, you know, probably another 70 fish in here, no problem, and still <clears throat> be able to support them with the amount of dissolved oxygen that I have cycling. But what that would do is it would force me, because I have more fish, it increases my minimum amount of fish food that I can feed at one time. Uh, so in flour, that becomes an issue. So that's what I always match <clears throat> is the minimum amount of fish food is what I want to be able to have as the amount that I feed in flour. And then I balance it out from there. Because if you have too many fish, then you have to feed a certain amount and then that makes your nitrogen go even higher. Anybody have any other questions? Anybody want to see anything else? Um, someone asked what your YouTube was. It is AP Meds. All right. Someone else asked uh, what kind of food production you, you can get out of it. <clears throat> um, pretty good. We, like you can see the stuff that's left down here right now. This is actually, we grew so much lettuce we didn't harvest it before it bolted. Um, and then this next bed over, um, I have a kale, which we just mostly harvested. And I can't really get over there uh, too well because the Wi-Fi <laughs> cuts out if I get underneath the lights because they're magnetic ballasts. So this is about as close as I can get is leaning over the tanks right here. But uh, so that's a whole bed of kale uh, in between there. And we just harvested it. And you can see it's starting to turn a little yellow because uh, the nitrogen has been dropping in the system, just, just like we talked about. And down there is some shard. Uh, and then in the far corner over there that you can't really see um, is uh, green onions. So those are the types of food that I grow in here consistently. Um, I just replanted uh, the far end of that, this bed right there. 
down there so you can see some popping up down there too. So I'm always harvesting and reseeding underneath and uh, pretty soon I'll pull out probably tonight, as you can see, because they've bolted so much. They've, they bolted and, and grew from like normal heads of lettuce up to that in like three days. That's how, <laughs> that's how quickly that, that escalated. So uh, anyway, I got to pull all those out and then I'll reseed in there. So it's important to remember that when you're using these for food production, you're almost are always either replanting or you're growing stuff that will continue to grow. Like green onions, you can continue to harvest and kale, you can continue to harvest and it'll grow back um, over time. But you have to be aware that they also need time to regenerate. So even if you, uh, even if you are harvesting stuff that regenerates, it has to have time to regenerate. So when you're, when you're doing food like that, uh, just know that um, even that has, most stuff has diminishing returns, except for, I would say kale is probably the exception. Like even green onions, after a while, they'll stop producing as fast. So it's actually better to just pull them out and plant new seeds or plant new seeds and let those start and then pull up the other ones later, however you want to work it out. But there are a lot of different things that you can do for food production, um, even with the limited space down here on the bottom. But uh, it's one of the reasons that you can see why my beds uh, or why my walkways are so wide. Uh, the first reason is my dad has stage five Parkinson's and he likes to come in here in his scooter. Uh, that was the main reason. But the, uh, the other logic that I had in doing it like this was that the, um, the center beds are actually getting quite a bit of side light from the lights next to them because the beds are so wide and I'm able to grow greens underneath a little more effectively. Um, but I have thought of some other stuff like lowering down the canopy more. Um, I do, I can raise the lights up about another foot. I probably will eventually, but uh, I could drop the canopy down some more and then maybe put some LED lights underneath the canopy to grow my greens under there that way. And then I can make the, the canopy wider and grow more medicine with the same amount of light from up here but use the LEDs underneath to provide light for the greens. Because otherwise, if you make this too wide, it's just complete shade under there. And uh, it's really, really tough to grow uh, any type of food production. But if you uh, get some side light in here of some kind, whether you do that like I did by shrink, you know, shrinking my canopy uh, this way, <clears throat> uh, putting lights under there, whatever it is you're going to do, you got to have light under the canopy if you're going to expect food production. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, that's why I was saying things like thyme, oregano, um, real low light plants that uh, aren't going to really struggle if you get a little bit of low light for a little while uh, are good for those low cover crops. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, I got to go put my kid to bed. It was good. Uh, like I said, look me up on uh, on YouTube, AP Meds, Aquaponic Cannabis Growers Group on Facebook, um, on Instagram at AP Meds, on Patreon at AP Meds. Uh, yeah. If you guys have any questions, you can hit me up on any of those places, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah. You guys have a good night. Cheers. And um, you guys can, uh, oh, we had a couple other questions in chat. I'll just answer those. Um, 
Is it okay to grow aquaponically if you have harvesting harvesting roots? Uh, yes, it's perfectly fine to use aquaponically harvested roots. There's no no issue there. Especially if you're dosing with labs, lactobacillic acid bacteria in your system, it really helps cut down on pathogens. All right, guys, I think we're going to call it a show. It's been about two hours. It was nice to do an old school kind of uh, Q&A episode with Marty and I. It's been a while since we've done that kind of show. Uh, really got into a lot of great content, covered a lot of great inputs for soil and for compost teas. Um, we'll do another wonderful episode again next week, maybe two. Uh, we'll see. Uh, just really tired working on outdoor and indoor and greenhouse and all the things this time of year has been really tiring. So sorry, we haven't been doing two, two a week, but uh, we'll get back to it eventually, guys. Um, thanks, everybody, for, for listening. You can find out more at potentponics.com, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you like to listen or watch this podcast i appreciate everyone uh, for all you do on listening and uh we'll catch you guys again soon cheers <laughs>